Cultures around the world have always looked to nature as a source of both increased health and wellness. While modern science continues to support this connection, we spend the majority of our time indoors. Welcome to the Nature of Wellness podcast, where we explore the relationship between the natural world and the human experience. Join us as we discuss all things nature, health, and well-being. We truly believe the future of health is now. Welcome to another episode of the Nature of Wellness podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Campbell, and with me is someone I've known for many years, a human I've seen struggle and thrive, someone I continue to be in complete awe of, Mr. Steve Otero. How are you, Steve? Hey, I'm doing well, buddy. How about yourself? Good, man. I'm actually starting to script those intros out a little bit with what I say about you because <laughs> I want to make sure I cover it all each time. Well, I hope, I hope it's not getting old for you. Not at all. I, I don't <laughs> think I'll ever run out of that material. <laughs> so how's it going? Well, uh, I mean, life is good. It's, you know, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping. I mean, um, you know, the, I, I've a horde of hummingbirds uh, floating around out in front of my house. Uh, my affectionately reference them as like, it's like the, the hummingbird thunderdome in the evenings because <laughs> there's 25 hummingbirds out there and only 12 spots on feeders. So they're out there like little flying tanks, um, knocking each other out of the way. Yeah. Um, but how are things in your neck of the woods? Good. I don't have any full contact bird musical chairs going on, but <laughs> no, it's, it's really good, man. I've done a little traveling lately back out on the speaking circuit a bit. So that's, that's been fun and just getting to connect with people. Yeah. I've seen some amazingly beautiful naturescapes recently, so that makes life a little bit better. Getting outside with sessions with clients on trails and seeing just unbelievable results with that. So life is very, very good, my man, and I'm really excited for everything that's coming next. Well, where's a where's a let's just say a where's an environment environmental space that you've been to recently that stands out to you? Oh gosh. I just spent a little bit of time in the Pacific Northwest. I okay. Was keynoting a healthcare conference in Washington State, which was a great experience. I got a chance to talk to home health professionals about self care and putting themselves first. And oh, wonderful. we got out. Yeah, we got outside after the keynote and did a nature session based on mindfulness. And the surrounding area was so beautiful. And I talked a little bit about wander and, and just soaking it all in. And it was so well received as a teacher, as a backdrop, as a perfect canvas for this work. So I, I can't say enough about it. It was it was so beautiful. And I know that that's something that you <laughs> get to experience pretty much every day with where you live. I walk out my front door and I feel in awe. I do. Truly. It's I'm very, very grateful. I'm grateful every single day, man. You know, I, little did I know that this City kid, right? You know, I was raised in Houston, right? Born and raised till, uh, till I was 18 years old and ran off in the military. But now what I appreciate most is that privilege that I have of being able to, to walk up my front door and stare at a 12,000 foot mountain in front of me and then, um, you know, walk up this beautiful sidewalk. It's like, I have a 12 foot sidewalk, right? In Crested Butte and in Mount Crested Butte, we have this uh, around four or five, like five mile long stretch of sidewalk. It's like 12 feet wide, beautifully paved all the way up to the entrance to the backcountry, right? And, and within wow. 10 minutes of leaving the sidewalk, you're more than an hour away from medical services. So I mean it when I say it's the backcountry. So, wow. um, you know, the other day I was able to take a walk and it was storming and I had actually considered, you know, maybe today I'll stop. I'll, I'll just, I'll go send some more emails. I'll make another phone call. But I, I thought to myself, I was like, no, I, I can't give up that hour, right? It's, only, it's my one hour out of the 24 that I'm taking to myself and I was going to go take my walk. And so I did, and it was blowing snow, 25 mile an hour winds, blowing snow. And here we are almost, it's the summer, right? It's like the right. summertime for most people already. And I'm still experiencing these wild snow sleet storms. I was the only human out on this recreation path. And I left the end of like where all the houses are. And then the path still sort of winds its way up into the mountains. And the sun all of a sudden, like kind of parted and started shooting these beams of light through the clouds, right? And the snow and the wind sort of died down for a second. And you could see kind of the crests of a couple of mountain ridge lines out in the distance. And I was the only human out there. And I just, I was, I was like ready to cry because I recognized yet again, this special place that I get to exist in 
and I can just go take a, a stroll. I can stroll right out my front door and experience awe and wonder in a moment. And so it just makes me grateful, you know, every day. That's so beautiful, man. And and you know, there's so much science to back that up with what you're saying and the benefits of experiencing wonder on yeah. our health and well-being. And you know, just just a quick general list. I mean, it increases feelings of overall well-being, life satisfaction. It increases that sense of meaning and purpose, which I talk about a lot as part of our yeah. spiritual well-being, which I feel drives the rest of the dimensions. For sure. So that's that's so beautiful. And I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? Do you have a study that you'd like well, yeah, to jump so, into? Um, yeah. Well, you know, there was, um, there was a study that came out of Germany and it was titled Wondering Awe as a Perceptive Aspect of Spirituality and its Relation to Indicators of Well-Being, right? And this this was a multi-year study and it was conducted anonymously um, just through, through surveys, right? And there was a, a measure that was utilized and it was this awe and gratitude scale. And it was a, like a seven question survey and um, around 8,000 people, you know, participants actually took the survey. And what came out of the survey was that emotionally touching experiences of wondering awe may result in feelings of interconnectedness, pro-social behavior, mindful awareness and contribute to a person's meaning in life and well-being, and can also be a very health-relevant resource, right? So that's amazing. You know, and this is not exclusive to either, you know, spirituality or, or excuse me, religiosity, right? This is the awe and wonder that can be experienced by any human, um, right. regardless of any, any other personal preferences, right? And so uh, I just, I found that really fascinating that there's this common bond of this sense of awe regardless of some of these other sort of personal motivating factors, right? It, it, it brings me back to thinking how you and I talk all the time about how we're humanists, right? We're human first sort of right. thinkers. And, and this is yet another aspect of our humanity that can help bond us and bring us together, right? Rather than talking about things that are divisive, this is right. something that can really help us all feel better about being together, maybe sharing some time together out on a walk, on our side. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, we've we've had so much in the media lately about the new pandemic of loneliness and right. the lack of connection with one another. And and this is a shared experience that we can have. This is something that we all experience as humans. Yep. And have throughout our lifetime. So it's, you know, it's something honestly, I'm blown away that every single guest in some form or fashion has mentioned wonder or awe. And I'm so excited that our guest today, which I'd love to jump right into, is a bona fide yeah. expert in this topic. It's somebody that I've been you know, chatting with here and there through social media for a while, been trying to schedule this interview, which I'm so happy we can make it happen, especially at this point in the first season. So I'm really excited to have Jeffrey Davis on the show today. And just a quick bio, Jeffrey Davis is an author, team culture consultant, innovation and thought leader strategist, speaker, and CEO of Tracking Wonder Consultancy. His latest book, Tracking Wonder, Reclaiming a Life of Meaning and Possibility in a World Obsessed with Productivity, what a great title, is a next <laughs> big idea club finalist. For over 25 years, Jeffrey has worked with and inspired thousands of change makers, creatives, and teams to unlock their best ideas through the pursuit of curiosity, innovation, and wonder. Jeffrey also writes on the psychology of creativity and entrepreneurship in the 21st century, as a regular contributor to Psychology Today, the Creativity Post, and Thrive Global. He teaches and speaks at leading centers, conferences, and universities. He lives with his wife and two daughters in an 1850s farmhouse in the Hudson Valley of New York, which I can't imagine a better place to really wow. experience wonder. Yeah. I'm a big old farmhouse fan, so that's uh, <laughs> even better. So without further ado, Jeffrey Davis. How are you, Jeffrey? I think I'm just like elevated all the more just like being here listening to you both. They're like my cylinders are going off, you know, all the things you're talking about. So thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Yeah, this is great. I would love to start off just by asking if you could talk a little bit about your background, how you got to where you're at and what you're currently doing. Sure. Well, my origin story actually begins in Fort Worth, Texas, Steve. Oh, so, uh, so. okay. But, you know, it begins in, in a way, looking back when I was a toe-headed boy who really came alive, climbing trees and making up imaginary worlds in the woods and in words on the page. I think it was like woods and words where I really 
flourished as, as a boy. But you know, fast forward ahead, maybe 20 years ago, I was completing another project related to creativity and creative process. And it was while researching that I came across some references to wonder actually as expressed in certain wisdom traditions like Taoism, yoga philosophy, which I'm pretty deep fried in, and, and Zen as well. And, you know, in that early stage, like 20 years ago, it was expressed in one of these texts, as well as in the opening of the Tao Te Ching, is this, like, it's like this momentary access to ultimate reality in this ordinary world. Yeah. And that sounds a little ethereal. And certainly I was kind of ethereal <laughs> 20 years ago. And, you right. know, and, but as a researcher, trainer, strategist, like I was still testing out some of these ideas early on in certain workshops and, and trainings. But, you know, I just want to say briefly, like it was one summer about 15 years ago that the project really started to take on higher stakes and became like realized in everyday practice. So not to go into too much detail, but I think it's relevant to my whole body of work. Within a matter of months one summer, like just after my wife Hillary and I moved into this farmhouse, like just a couple of years, I contracted Lyme disease and this oh. crazy lightning caused fire. Like it was one of these weird electric lightning storms in July that you don't get up here normally. It singed a wire like above my studio and study and really decimated our house. Like your listeners can't see what's behind me, but everything you see behind me was just black char. It mostly decimated this room, like took wow. 300 volumes of books, 20 years of archives, melted my computer before I had real knowledge of the cloud. It was just like one adversity after another. And, and yeah. like, this might sound familiar actually to some of your listeners. It's like many of us like set off on like, oh, this is my dream. I'm going to set off on. And then like we're met with one unbidden yeah. surprise or challenge after the another. bottom falls right out. Right. Just as soon as you're like, yeah, this is where I'm going. Yeah. And so we survived, you know, physically unscathed. We'd be out of this sort of dream house for the next 15 plus months. And, and then we had our first baby along the way too, before we could oh. move back in. And it was in this period that I kind of do what I normally do is I got curious. And I, I got curious for myself and in terms of outside of myself about adversity and wonder. So I was already on this trail. And I'm like, oh, this is where tracking wonder really comes into play. Like, mm -hmm. sure, you can track wonder when you're wandering in the woods by yourself. And so, but what happens when you're under adversity? And so I was working with some remarkable people and I got curious, like, how do innovators who are ultimately fulfilled, how do they end up flourishing more than flailing in the face of these types of challenges and adversity? And what, if anything, does wonder have to do with it? Like, those were the questions that really got me more refined and, and concrete. And I've, I've narrowed my body of work in the science of human flourishing, the science of mindfulness, and the science of creativity and innovation. And with those questions, like I researched, I worked with and interviewed like literally thousands of people I would call fulfilled innovators. And so there was this common thread, like Ken Burns says in one interview, he's done so many documentary films and he's like, every one of them has been a million problems. And- <laughs> And Mark Osborne, who's a, a filmmaker of Kung Fu Panda and the Little Prince, like he said to me in an interview, every animated film he's made has been a nightmare. Right. And like you hear this from scientists, entrepreneurs, creative idea people, I don't know, two friends who want to make a really cool podcast and see how it works. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, one challenge after another, right? And so sure. why do we continue doing these things and how do we continue? Mm -hmm. And so part of my research and research, not just in the abstract, but applying it with my clients and people in my trainings and workshops and so forth. Like really experiences of wonder are potentially the singular set of experiences that allow us human beings to navigate complex creative endeavors. This is more important than willpower and grit, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Um, <laughs> so, so this science of wonder is emerging. You referenced this cool study. It's still new, even though the wisdom of wonder yeah. It's ancient. And so what research is corroborating, like Mark, you touched on some of the benefits, and I think we can explore this in detail. And I, I mm -hmm. kind of center my work around three key 
benefits of reflecting upon experiences of wonder, just like Steve did beautifully just now and sharing, which you just did, <laughs> and actively tracking those experiences, not just waiting for them to happen, but actually tracking them. So three things kind of correlate. One is we are able to face and finesse those challenges instead of fight or flee from them mm-hmm. with a little more creativity, a little less reactivity, our cognitive resources are radically improved. We can draw from more cognitive resources when we have these experiences. Second, we build the sort of, maybe what I would call a tender resilience and fortitude amidst uncertainty and adversity. This is like my daily work is like working with people who are facing challenges. And like, this is, you know, part of my work is to help them work through that. Third is though, what you've alluded to is we deepen our bonds with other people. Experiences of wonder seem to trip a sort of me-centeredness. And wonder is this profoundly pro-social experience that we have that I feel like it encourages us to be better people on this planet, if not better stewards of this planet, to hit on a, a theme perhaps of this show. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And you know, uh, you alluded to my book. I wanted to write this book that gives us a, a shared language of possibility mm-hmm. so we could find the means not to give up on our dreams and, like, and, and together reclaim you know, a life of more meaning and possibility. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I love I love everything you just said. I'm a big language guy. I'm a big words and operational definition guy. So having that shared language is so important. And consistency of, I mean, I come from the healthcare field, wellness field. Consistency of care, consistency of language are the two most important pieces of that, that and often overlooked. So thank you for creating this experience of shared language. I think that's so important. And honestly, I've I'm doing air quotes again, Steve. I do this all the time. People can't see it. <laughs> but I am, you know, known in my throughout my career as an adversity expert, which I don't necessarily like the term expert because I feel like I can always learn more. But adversity has been at the center of all of my work for the past 20 years with the military and beyond. And I know how important wonder has been with all of that work. So I'm so happy to hear everything you're saying. One question I do have, and I noticed that Steve and I even did it in the intro, is the interchangeability of the terms wonder and awe. And is there a difference? Are they the same? Can you touch on that for a minute? I was at a lecture uh, from one of my friends who does really cool zero waste furniture. He's really remarkable. And his wife introduced Mm -hmm. me to somebody as a wonder expert the other day, like you did. And I was like, you know, that's kind of an oxymoron because wonder is always putting us in this place of unknowing and knowing. And so I always have to keep wondering about wonder. So, you know, so I just wanted to tease that out, you know, and I have to keep challenging myself like, wait, you can't even writing this book. It took me 15 years because I had to be in wonder with wonder constantly. So I just wanted to touch on that. So I'm a wonder tracker. I, I, I just I, I I happen to do it so obsessively that I have <laughs> I've kind of discovered a lot about yeah. it a lot more along. So okay, I love this question. Several years ago, again, there was barely any science. There were two psychologists who had done a study on awe, and I interviewed them both, and I asked them like, "What's the difference between wonder and awe?" And one of them, who's no longer in this field, he, he went somewhere else, he's doing marvelous work in this other field. He's like, well, that's just mincing words. And I thought, oh, that's what I thought we should do is like get really clear on the terms. And then the other one was like really open. He's like, I don't know. He's like, huh, I hadn't thought of that. Like, how do you, how do you distinguish wonder and awe? So I'll say that like wonder gives rise to awe. Okay. And so in 1649, Descartes, he wrote his last book. It was probably the first in... Western literature to try to codify some emotions. And he described wonder as the first of all emotions. And like that's been pretty much corroborated. Like we're born into the world not knowing in the sort of delighted phase. And so wonder really is our our human birthright. And of course, it evolves and changes for a variety of reasons. Think of awe as like the Grand Canyon and think of wonder as giving rise to that experience, but wonders like on the scale too of like beetles, snails, and baby toenails. Like, you know, you can be in wonder, but you're not in awe, Yeah, you know? So, so awe's, awe's vast, awe's vast. Yeah. And it actually 
can shift our orientation to our surroundings and make us feel small in a good way. Wonder can disorient us in really good ways too, but it's usually of a different scale and it's readily more accessible, which is why I've pursued one. Like wonder is accessible right. at work. Wonder is accessible in the workplace. Wonder is accessible right here. Like I've probably had, I don't know how many experiences of wonder just since we started talking, honestly. But I just haven't been in awe. I'll work on it. So you are a word guy. So, you know, I've had to come up with tentative definitions of wonder, right? Because we all think we kind of know it. We confuse it with curiosity or joy or awe. So wonder, one way to enter that is wonder is a heightened state of awareness. It is like instant mindfulness without the fight or flight response that's brought about by something unexpected that either delights us, disorients us, or both. So a bald eagle landing in your backyard. It could be something that a coworker whom you've sort of boxed in as irritating says something to you in such a way that suddenly you see them in a beautiful, real, and true way. It could be how the pandemic suddenly disrupts your assumptions about who you are and what matters. That's bewildering wonder. And so another way of this is yeah. where we can enter into, I loved how you tapped into the loneliness piece because I've spoken a lot about the belonging gap in this country. Wonder is a quiet disruptor mm -hmm. of our unseen biases for a fleeting moment. So we can see again what is oh, real yeah. and true, what is beautiful and possible about our own true nature, about other human beings, about this uncertain mm -hmm. future or about the ordinary world right around us. So yeah, so that's my take on wonder and awe. Thank you for that. That's so incredible. Yeah. And I think it, it definitely clears up a lot of that muddy water that we operate in when we talk about these things. And honestly, to make a difference going forward and to figure this out together, which is all any of us are trying to do on a daily basis, just figure it out. I think we need that distinction, especially in the healthcare, the coaching fields, you know, when we're trying to help another person navigate their journey, it's so important that we're using the right terms and that we truly understand them in the correct way. So thank you for that. And I've heard you say before, Jeffrey, that you argue in our culture that the world is obsessed with productivity. And I, I talk about that all the time as well. Steve and I have that conversation all the time. We always have to yeah. do more, achieve more, be more, and that we have a bias as a society against wonder. That's, that's certainly a part of it. And that's so invisible. And definitely we could have a very full conversation on that. Right? So I've had conversations with clients recently who are extremely hardworking, accomplished people who aren't ego-driven, very service-oriented, hardworking, who for 30 years have found their way by working hard. And for them to think differently about their worth other than working hard is really a tearful journey sometimes mm -hmm. because you recognize you have found that this is the culture we swim in or have swam in. I think the past few years, the pandemic and other things have really provoked some deep questioning, but this is part of the culture that we swim in is that hard work equals good character. This certainly comes back in this country's religious traditions from Judeo-Christian and then very specific Puritan influence that idleness is the devil's playground. And, you know, if something bad happened to you, it's probably because you weren't working hard enough and in God's good graces. Like this is like deeply in our culture. So the way it shows up still in the, in the workplace or even for people like us who have a lot of autonomy, we have a harder time, those of us in autonomy, because we have to regulate ourselves not to work so hard, right? But in the workplace, it shows up a lot in a sort of toxic productivity of overvaluing your self-worth with how hard you work. And then from, let's say, a leader's or employer's point of view of assessing someone's worth only in terms of their bottom line productivity. Mm -hmm which creates a profoundly transactional attitude and regard for each other, right? And so when we're talking about connecting with each other, like this is deep stuff. 
this has been part of my deep tracking wonder work too. Like it keeps getting layered, which is why I can't call myself a wonder expert because in tracking wonder, I've had to take stock of my own perpetuating these things or the way I used to value for decades, my hard work ethic. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So um, it's it's deeply interesting. I'll tell you a fun thing. So I have Scottish and English background and part of my looking at the history of the use of the word wonder in Western cultures is a few hundred years ago in Scotland, there was a disease called the wonders. It was probably that sort of state that, you know, this is three, 400 years ago, they didn't have much of a definition where somebody's just like almost in a stupor gazing. But I like to imagine, you know, the boy out in the field who's gazing up at the clouds and, you know, somebody saying, oh, look at that boy. He's got the wonders. He won't amount to anything. And yet the guy probably comes up with some revolutionary way to change the way of labor or something. You know? <laughs> so. Wow. That really impacted me unexpectedly because my grandmother on the Campbell side, I remember when I was a kid, now I hadn't thought about this since I was a kid, making a comment about the wonders. No kidding. Yeah. And it was associated with daydreaming and maybe she asked me to do a chore. Wow. I hadn't thought of that in decades. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Thank you. Yeah. My great grandmother was kind of telling me the same thing when I was trying to rake her backyard. Wow. Man. I had such a case of the wonders as a boy. Apparently I had the wonders in Little League and T-ball. Oh I my gosh. Yes. Been around in the outfield with my glove on my head. I, I, I was playing second base. I was good at yeah. second base, but then I asked the coach to put me in center field. And he's like, nothing happens there. And I was kind of like, I know. <laughs> I had a, kind of the opposite. They moved me to catcher so that I would have to be yeah. involved because I kept <laughs> spinning around. That became my biggest love in the world growing up. It was being in that action. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a case of the wonders. I love that story. Wow, that's so great. You just you really touched my soul a little bit with that one. I know that a lot of the book, especially more of the second half of the book, makes the case that wonder can change the way we relate to one another. And I know we've talked about that connection piece a little bit. You even suggest it can close what you call that belonging gap, right? And the fact that so many of us these days are feeling lonely and isolated, especially during the pandemic, whether we were separate because of Mm -hmm. governance or fear, we're still feeling that in some ways. How does wonder help us unbox one another? So when I was working... On this section, I remember the developmental editor of Sounds True was working with me. She was helping me talk out some ideas. And uh, I guess this was in 2020. And I got really emotional, actually, in talking about connection. And she's like, wow, you're, you're, like, you're like talking about love. I said, yeah, in many ways, actually. And like what what disturbs me the most, honestly, is how we treat each other. Like it it makes me deeply emotional and sad. And so, okay, I love this question. So, you know, some cognitive psychologists talk about the unconscious in terms of an adaptive unconscious, right? So you can think of the adaptive unconscious too in terms of like, what some cognitive psychologists suggest is like the ratio of the unconscious to the totality of the human mind, all right? So one metaphor I think that is that a lot of people I've worked with have found helpful is it's called the rider and the elephant. And Jonathan Haidt uses this too. So your mind is like the right, a, a rider, a human rider sitting atop a big elephant. And the rider is the conscious rational part of the mind that is seemingly directing the rest of your mind, right? seemingly. And, and the elephant is this adaptive unconscious. It is everything that, every sensory stimulation your mind has taken in today and for the past decades, every dream you've had is still there. Everything happening physiologically beyond your conscious radar, like thankfully you don't have to be aware of how all your organs are functioning at this very moment, but they're functioning and how your heartbeat's going and your blood circulates. All of this though, (laughs) has a direct influence on how you consciously perceive reality, right? And so 
Percentage-wise, that elephant accounts for about 95% of the human mind. That's a conservative estimate. The other 5% is what we think think we're in charge. (laughs) So biases, of course, come out of that elephant in part, not only, but but a lot of our perception of each other, they're filtered. And we're making snap judgments. We make, you know, my 13-year-old daughter was saying the other day, she's like, it's so funny. Like, I met this person named... Jason, and I thought he was going to look completely different just because of that name, right? So we have all these right unseen biases, and part of our work in tracking wonder is to try to bust those biases. So sometimes I have, have teams say, okay, think of the last time you encountered a stranger and any kind of like, do a little investigation, like what kind of biases did you have toward that person, good or bad or, you know, whatever, it probably wasn't neutral. And you have to like really investigate that situation to be aware of how your mind operates that way. And then think of a moment when your initial judgments of somebody shifted in some way for the better, right? Like that irritating coworker I alluded to earlier, like you box people in, or if you've ever been on a team and you go to team meetings or faculty meetings, you box in so-and-so you're like, oh, I know what so-and-so is going to say, right? We box each other in. So part of the work is to investigate those moments when perhaps your attitudes toward a stranger shifted in some ways or somebody you're very familiar with. So with our loved ones, we get over-familiarized. The novelty's worn off. We've seen that person. We live with that person. And we have a, a whole history of biases there. So we have to bust our biases with them too. So how do you do that? So- There are a couple of things that I have trained even managers to do with their direct reports. (laughs) And like one is like to know that that elephant is sometimes creating armor signals for us in defense. So one is just like, right, just become aware of anything going on physiologically that might be armor, that might be closing you off to the other person in the moment. Like this is a way to track openness in the body, which is a facet of wonder. So you do that. And then second, you might say to yourself to shift your wiring, open up instead of size up. Right? So yes, it's just a reminder to shift your orientation and just to actually call it out, like open up instead of size up because it's right there. And sometimes we do that because we're afraid we're being sized up and we have a little social anxiety. And then third, like is to practice listening with your feet. So this is like, managers are like, what? And I'm like, it's just a way to draw your attention down to, rather than thinking you have to listen to fix or listen to win, like draw some attention down to your feet so you can listen to learn and just be really open that way. Wow. And then sometimes, depending on the group, I'll just remind them that, you know, the Japanese have a saying for this, like every encounter is just one encounter. So why not make it count? even in adversity or so. So anyway, those are ways to track wonder with connection on a personal level or even on a a team level. Does that magically change relationships? No, because this is all hard work and practice, but that's why tracking wonder is the skill set to do that. Yeah. That is so great. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? I'm taken aback at at our our ability to be able to define and understand these concepts Mm. as deeply as you do, Jeff, and yeah. anybody who's mm. you know in your field, like, thank you. I'm you know number one. I'm grateful, right? It's, it's it. You're helping us understand these components of the human condition that can fuel us in a mm-hmm. really strong way. And I, I want to put the label positive, right? It, it can fuel us in a in a very positive way, and and sort of help us not not necessarily discount or ignore, I mean, some of those judgments or these other negatives we observe. Because as you were talking and describing, I realized that my military training, I mean, 12 years, I sized everybody up every day. Everybody in my environment, everybody in my little world. And that was part of your role. I mean, it's part of my role, but sure. But I, I realized though that there was definitely some negativity that came with that. And this, this, almost continual sizing up of others in the room, you know, recognize, right. There's a saying, right. The loudest guy in the room is the one you least worry about, right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's usually not the one who's the most dangerous. A lot of posturing. 
And right, right, exactly. Right. And people, people do that all the time, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. there were definitely some aspects of human behavior that a person like me with my experiences, if we're willing to go and reassess them after, after service, we might find that, Hey, I could do a little self-work in this area. I, I could be a little more open to certain experiences and to help me move past those skills that maybe I needed 10 years ago, right? But I don't necessarily need those skills anymore in this other environment, right? That's a non-military, non-combat, thank goodness, right? And, and you know, environments that thankfully, they're at least a little more common for us here, here in America and, and many other places around the world. You know, thank goodness we don't have that many war zones on the planet. But you know, just as you were speaking, I was realizing like, yeah, like, so a lot of the, like a lot of the therapy that I've been through and, and different counselors and coaches like Mark, you know, that I've talked to have helped me sort of see just some of those behavior patterns that maybe weren't enhancing me, you know, I, I needed them a long time ago. But it, even though I, I think some days, you know, I need to size this room up, right? I size this group up. Well, the reality is no, no, it's, it's, it's just to be more open, to be more willing to accept and not judge and not have these biases sort of dominating my thought patterns. And I can admit, I was very, very guilty of allowing a number of biases to dominate my thought patterns and prevent me from experiencing awe, wonder, and then the, the, the really fun feeling of openness, right? And, and ha- allowing these other wonderful experiences to, to just come into my life, right? Instead of trying to control everything. <laughs> just allow it to happen and be grateful for when certain, you know, aspects occur and then be, be ready and willing to, to manage the challenges. Right. But in a, in a constructive way rather than, rather than destructive. So. Yeah. And Jeffrey, you're, you're a mindfulness guy too. So, I mean, we inherently know how to be present, right? If you jingle keys in front of a baby, they're completely present with the keys. It's yeah. that sense of biases and or those biases we form and the judgment that we learn to place on everything and everybody that pulls us out of that present moment. So is it more of uh, about curiosity and openness than judgment? Oh, I want to really dive into this a little bit and respond to some things from Steve's account. That was really beautiful what you, you shared. So I want to contextualize it a little bit and even just like lead with maybe it's a both and. So we don't necessarily want to do away with vigilance at all, or even fear at all, or discernment. So judgment can be a virtue. It's prejudgment and unchecked prejudgment that I think gets in the way. Judgment can be a character strength in the field of positive psychology. It's the ability to weigh things and discern and make a decision. But part of, wow, that military training, that was such a great example, right? This is part of our ancient mammalian wiring, right? Survival. Sure. Survival. And yet there's more where anthropologists and cultural anthropologists are, have challenged the whole narrative that I grew up with, which was survival of the fittest and, and so forth. So we don't want to do away with vigilance yeah. or even yeah. conscious judgment in certain situations, but it's a both end. So I'll just reference the work of Melvin Connor. He's an incredible cultural anthropologist. He was probably in part responsible for the paleo diet and so forth and looking at our ancestors. At the end of his like comprehensive study of like the whole history of human beings on this planet, he concludes that evolution of our species and the survival of our planet require more wonder. It's our choice. So we have that wiring and you were trained in such a way to be hypervigilant, the, the way that some police officers might be trained as yep. well. And yet it can be a both end. Sure. So Ted Wachtel, who does this really remarkable work with restorative justice and restorative communities, recently was interviewing a police officer who like maybe 20 years ago was in a community and he was handling the 16-year-old boy, trying to calm him down. And the boy punched him right in the face, which could really get this kid in trouble when you punch an officer in the face. That officer's response 
was not to press charges. He drove the boy home, told his mother what had happened, insisted that the mother and son have certain written agreements of their interactions and and relationships. And he would, the boy would have certain agreements for how he would behave and so forth. And that officer continued to check in with him and build a relationship. And that boy's, you know, grown up to be a man, very happily married with his two children and stays in touch with him. Right. So it's a both end. Right. And like, does that not give you the chills too? Right. So that's wonder too happening right there in that responsiveness. So it is in part about openness and curiosity, but it's also just not you know, it's being more conscious of how we've been wired in the sort of vigilant, hypervigilant way. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, as you said, you know, you made me think of too, I, I, I caught myself the other day. Um, I was, I was traveling, I was in, I was in LA, right. And I'm, I told you earlier, you're right. I, I live out in the woods. I live out in the woods for a reason, number of reasons. And, you know, I've, I'd never been to LA before. I was very excited to, to go and check it out and kind of check out some of the beaches in the city and such. Um, when I had some downtime, I was out there for some federal training. I'm a SAMHSA prevention fellow for this year. And so learning all about the field of substance use prevention. And, and so we're out there for a week. And I made sure to take daily walks up and down this wonderfully paved boardwalk that they have, you know, right there on the beach. And it's like Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach and Redondo. And so I also made a point to go out and eat and I like to go sit at a bar and, and just kind of listen. And, you know, I, I put my phone down, I'm realizing quickly, I'm one of the only humans that goes to a bar nowadays and isn't staring at their phone. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I order food and, and I'm listening to two or three different conversations sort of, you know, kind of around me. And I learned that, you know, there were a lot of people there in that particular environment who are very transactional with their relationships because it's, you know, it's LA, it's the, the, the land of glitter in Hollywood and, you know, folks one day, you know, it's it, rags to riches stories can occur there. Right. And, and, I, and one of the conversations sort of stood out to me because I was listening to two gentlemen talk and they were, they were sort of comparing their earnings, you know, and, and it was very loud, they're very loud, boisterous conversation where they're comparing their financial earnings and how are they getting to the next level of financial earnings. And I caught myself quietly judging them for it. Right? And I was like, oh, I don't you know. And I told myself, my little internal dialogue, I, I, I corrected it, in, in my opinion. I corrected it and I said, you know, stop. These folks are out there trying to be successful, right? That's their definition of success. My definition of success might be a little different than theirs. I was grateful that I was able to kind of catch myself because I wanted to say hello. Like they were talking about some interesting topics like real estate and then um, investing in watches, something, a concept I've never even discussed. But apparently to them, they were very, very well versed in that domain of, of investing and, and personal financial success. Cause apparently some of them, these gentlemen had sold watches and been able to, you know, I'm, I'm paying for my kid's college. Cause I sold this one watch that I had, you know, from 25 years ago or whatever. And then I did, I ended up, they ordered a dessert and I saw the dessert and I was like, Oh wow, that's beautiful. It was like a cheesecake and you know, had some beautiful fruit toppings on it or something. And then I took that as an opportunity to reach out and to make a connection because I was like, Hey, food, common bond, likely, right? These, these gentlemen really, in, you know, they were really enjoying this dessert that they had ordered. And so I reached out and made a human connection and recognized very, very quickly once the two gentlemen started talking to me that actually our definition of success wasn't that different. And, and while I was judging them 10 minutes ago, you know, in my head, once I reached out to make that connection over something like food, I was able to, to make new friends. I was able to, to start, and, you know, it was a catalyst to a new relationship. I just needed to, I needed to be willing to be open to, to a new experience with a couple of people that I had never met before. And, and so instead of focusing on any sort of judgment and then like turning myself off to a potential connection, I guess I was patient enough to observe and, and to like, okay, now I, I, can, I can reach out now. And, and this is something maybe we can find a common bond over. And we did. I ordered an extra like two desserts and then the three of us shared some more desserts together. And it ended up being a wonderful, you know, lovely conversation for like the next 30 minutes. And, you know, we parted ways later, you know, that evening and that's probably the end of it, but it ended up being a very, very lovely opportunity that was sparked initially, it was sparked initially by my own judgment of others. And then because I was accepting of like, okay, I, I know that I can be curious 
with these folks and maybe it'll turn into something nice. That's a great example. I just got to, I want to unpack that a little bit through the lens of tracking wonder as well. Like that is just such a great example, you know, okay. and, and so I'm, you know, working with leaders and companies or teams or entrepreneurs, big creative idea people who like, we need to build relationships, right? We say at Tracking Wonder, like do it together beats do it yourself, right? To also counter this sort of loneliness epidemic. Mm. So it was such a beautiful example. Your bias yeah. box instantly, like a uh, bunch of, you know, mercenary, <laughs> greedy, you know, transactional is right. Capital, you know, right. <laughs> Just like capitalist, it, right. And, and, and yet you're humanist too, <laughs> like, sure. right. That's how you introduced yourself. Right. And like humanity is so crazy right. complex. Yep. Uh, and, and, uh, but what's so beautiful yeah. is that, yeah, you paused, you found like the dessert was like the moment of wonder because it was like this moment of connection that you saw. And there was this entry point, like it, funny enough, the dessert, which I love was like the wonder disruption. Like it disrupted those, what we call default cognitive patterns, right. That really dis distort our sense of what's yeah, real and yeah. true to go back to the definition of wonder. You had a certain boxed in view of what was real and true about those two guys. And then that moment of wonder I like did, expanded. Yeah. And for a moment, it dissolved those biases and you were able to see them in much more real, true, possibly even beautiful ways. I love that. And even though it was only 30 minutes, it has rippling effects because you've just now shared it and you've extended the moment. And this is why like wonder to kind of use a wonder and awe nature analogy. Like for awe, like some people are like, okay, I'm going to, you know, have a ocean vacation and I'll go out on a boat. We'll go searching out the whales. And like, we see the whales and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. And we're like, oh, inspired. And then like wonder is like, you're walking through the woods and a red fox appears and then it's gone. Like it's a wonder is like a now you see it, now you don't, right? It's so fleeting and yet pervasive. It's oh, pervasive sure. if we tend to it. And so that 30 minutes might have seemed short, but I, I think it will have rippling, rippling effects in different ways for you and your well-being and your sense of relationship to human Definitely. beings. I love that. I love that story. These are the kinds of stories that I love. These are the kinds of stories I love to watch in films <laughs> like, you know, Darth Vader pulls off his back, like, I'm your father. Like, oh, you know, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're transformative moments. And it, and it just goes to show you that it doesn't have to be anything, you know, any sense of grandeur associated with it. Like you're saying the difference between awe and, and wonder. But, you know, we talk mm. about this a lot on the show with nature exposure. And you yeah. know, Steve yeah. lives in a painting. We said that a lot in the early episodes. I do. But, yeah. but Rockwell. the majority of us don't. So does that mean yeah. we can't benefit from nature? Yes. Absolutely not. Nature is right outside your front door, right? So finding wonder in the small pieces of life. And, you know, how about we refer to you as a wonder authority instead of an expert? Is that, is that better? Okay. So as a wonder authority, over the years, you've gathered so much science and stories like this one that Steve shared and, and different skills related to tracking wonder. I got to ask, what is maybe the most surprising discovery that you've come across in that time. Yeah. I can be quite an introvert who, you know, yeah, you know, we have like a three quarter acre of a pond and woods in the back. It's like my little Walden woods or something, you know, but I thrive with other human beings too. So the most surprising piece has been just right. what we've been talking about. So I was leading a workshop for about 90 entrepreneurs from around the world. and. It was in a really cool outdoor setting too. And I took them through some different things. One is like this young genius work where I get them really to remember a core part of their character when they were maybe seven or eight, nine or 10 years old and to really activate that back, which also brings a lot of tears for people. And then like we did something with mindfulness. Sure. But this other third piece has to do, like we did, I talked them through some of what I talked to you, talked to you through with detecting the armor signals. And so we did these dyad, what I call wonder talks, mm -hmm. where like one person's just talking about in vivid description, a place that's brought them great joy. 
and the other person just holding space and listening without interrupting. Like that was the most profound thing that came out of that workshop that I wasn't expecting. I was like, oh, I'm sure the young genius thing or the mindfulness, you know. And then I was like, wow, connection. Like, and that's where I really honored the pro-social piece. Yeah, that's been the most surprising and, and beautiful and, and meaningful piece. The other piece that's related is, is admiration as a facet. You know, there are six facets I look at, and admiration is this other facet that has all to do with the relationships. That in our culture, again, we don't think of admiration as a facet of wonder, but the root of the word M-I-R-A, to stoke Mark's word love, is one, it means it means wonder, M-I-R-A. It's Latin for wonder. <laughs> and uh, it's a word we get for mirror. And so I think a lot, a lot of our challenges in this country come from a misunderstanding of admiration. And if I say, well, who do you admire? You, you, you may think of some like vaulted figure, you know, whether it's Gandhi or a celebrity or, you know, a, 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 an athlete. But if you understand, like the way I define admiration is that it's a surprising love for someone whose excellence in character or craft elevates you perhaps to be better at who you are or perhaps how you do what you do, right? Yeah. And that is like, so that's a whole different orientation that's readily accessible too. When I read my older daughter's Christmas card to her younger sister, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing appreciation and admiration. Uh, it was remarkable how the older sister was admiring and appreciating the younger sister in words. And then I admired my older daughter for her character and her craft. The mirrors, right? So this is, the mirror is such a beautiful portrait. And where the work is for leaders, this goes back to our view of each other, is for leaders, CEOs, executives, managers to perhaps shift their regard for the people who are kind of lower on the power hierarchy. And where can you admire something that they do or how they do or how they've weathered the pandemic or other things? Like this is a whole different orientation. And this is part of the admiration training that I get really excited about. So yeah, it's been that pro-social dimension that has surprised me and completely lit me up. That is so cool <laughs> and so timely with what we're facing as a, as a species right now. So thank you for that. You know, I, I say this every episode, we could talk about this for six more hours. But I, I want to be a good steward of your time. And if you're okay with it, I would love to shift into the segment that we call the Fast Five. I'm not really quick on my feet sometimes. So I may have a case of the wonders. So okay. bear with me, Mark. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, we allow the wonders on the show. So first one, where's your favorite spot to get outdoors? Oh my gosh. Yes. I have what I call a horizon spot. So it's a less than a five minute walk where I put a bench that looks onto the Shangum Ridge. And so that's a place where I sit four seasons and get perspective. I love that so much. What is your preferred outdoor activity? It's now kayaking. I am like a kayak nut. And like I went further up into the Catskills a couple of weeks ago just by myself to go kayaking and riding and hiking. And you know, I came back to my wife. I'm like, I was just absurdly happy and like so ridiculously peaceful. I was at one with the 10,000 things. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. kayaking, you know, it's, it's so effortless and you're right there with the water. Right. And yeah, such unique perspective of nature, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you're in, so I, you know, I passed through these swallows that were dipping down. They just ignored me and let me float right through wow. them. So anyway, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Michael Arlowski, a, a former guest, was talking about canoeing and kayaking in, into the North Country and how it allows them to go places that most people normally can't access. That's right. And this is a new discovery for me as of last year. And, and so, yeah, I have my wife bought me a, a foldable kayak made out oh, of cool. one piece of durable plastic yeah. that I put together in eight minutes. I hoisted on my shoulder another you know, feat of wonder yeah, and ingenuity. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. What is your favorite food to eat outside? <laughs> outside. Well, I'll eat a good 
dark chocolate uh, anyway. Nice. But yeah, outside, I like, uh, and my, again, my nine-year-old is all into this. I, they bought me a, an outdoor grill to put over our campfire for my birthday. And so my nine-year-old's all ready to go camping and <laughs> Love it. cook over the grill. So probably in the future, if you ask me this a year from now, it's going to be anything that's cooked on that grill. That's so yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. I'll allow it now because I know exactly how much you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my answer, Steve, right? Anything grilled outside anything like barbecue grilled? type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I use chocolate and bacon. Those are my yeah. little carrots that, oh, I, that my, I dangle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite animal? Well, I... I dreamed when I was, my earliest memory is dreaming of, of sea tortoises, waking up in the middle of the night, seeing sea tortoises float over my head. So I have a fondness for sea tortoises. I have a very strong fondness for wolves and coyotes. I love that. If you could only go to one outdoor spot for the rest of your life, where would that be? Mm, wow. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, you know, I love our pond out back, you know, it's fed by a, a stream and it spills over an old dam and then ultimately finds its way into the Hudson that finds its way into the Atlantic. So I think I still like, if I just had to be here, like when we first moved here, we sat out back. I was like, I think I could die here. Amazing. And I've never wow. felt that. Yeah. yeah. Steve, I think those are my favorite answers so far. A few of the guests have said like their backyard or, you know, somewhere accessible on a daily basis. And, and I think when you find that, it just proves that you're where you need to be. So I love that so much. One bonus. Do you have a favorite nature quote, saying, or idiom? I do. And so, okay. So this reveals my geekiness. You know, I co-founded in the 80s, a place called the Walden Institute. So it gives you a bit of my mm -hmm. background and living, living deliberately and wanting to go into the woods. So I have been really obsessed in reading Thoreau's journals, which are incredible, like a million words he's, he devoted, like they are astounding. And I highly recommend them for you both. Okay. They're incredible. Like, and starting in 1852, his whole aim was to really observe nature in ways that nobody else had done before. Mm -hmm. And he is, he's looking at how, you know, this burgeoning science is doing, but his whole aim is to like, see it with wonder and poetry and still really intelligent observations. I'm like, my God, you wrote five pages before 6 a.m. And <laughs> like, I feel woefully inadequate. <laughs> so what I've been doing for the past several months is I will read his passage from 1852 on that day that it is. Oh, like, you know, cool. Yeah. So, okay. So there were two. I loved, uh, I loved this idea. So I'm going to read you two that seem so relevant to your work and to what we've been talking about. One is to see the sunrise or go down every day would preserve us sane forever. Wow. His language is like, this would keep us mentally healthy and sane forever. Yeah. And so to relate ourselves for our minds and bodies health to a universal fact. Like he's just saying like, this is a fact. Yeah. So I love that. I thought, oh, you will love that. Absolutely. And so the other that I just was like, oh my gosh, like he's so insightful and nobody knows this is in his journals. Would you see your mind? Look at the sky. In other words, if like you want to see your mind, look at the sky. Mm -hmm. Would you know your own moods? Be weather wise. He whom the weather disappoints, disappoints himself. Oh, yeah. Wow. Man. See, you love it, yes, right? Yes. Like, and it's a beautiful moment of wonder too, like just reading those insights. I have a confession. I'm a huge Thoreau fan. I, I do read his journals. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm still trying to recover from you saying you lost 300 volumes because I am a ridiculous bibliophile. That's my biggest vice in life is Mine too. the thousands yeah. of books I own. <laughs> yes. But I'm a massive Thoreau fan. I have been since I was a kid. Anything that he's written, I just have devoured. So I can appreciate both of those. I think they're extremely relevant, not just to what Steve and I have put out in front of us as our mission with this project, but with what you're doing with Wonder. It's just so beautiful. And it just, again, it shows that this is all so attainable for all of us. It doesn't have to be difficult. You know, I say to people every day, life isn't hard. We make it hard. It's all true. of these little beautiful things that, that make up our experience are right there always. 
we just choose not to see them or we choose to be distracted by seemingly irrelevant things, right? That pull us, pull us away, act as, as attention thieves. And know Steve likes when I use that term, you know, constantly trying to steal our attention away from what matters. Yeah. And that's so oh, true. Wow, such a good pair. I'm glad you said both. I don't know how you could have chosen between those two. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi said yep. in his follow-up to Flow in his book, Creativity, oh. you are what you pay attention to. Yeah. Wow. I love him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yep. Me too. That's so cool. Yeah. I've had some uh, very good opportunities to talk to Martin Seligman over the years, different mm. projects, and, and he worked with Csikszentmihalyi on, you know, on a lot of those concepts. And, and that is absolutely one of my favorites. So, wow. So relevant. And you know, I got to ask a couple more things I definitely want to ask you. If you could have one wish for the impact of of this body of work with Tracking Wonder for all of us, what would it be? I love that question. So I, I closed the book with five sort of audacious wishes because I recognize my own limitations and even our, our lean team's limitations. Like we can't do this ourselves. Like yeah. if we're going to choose wonder and for the evolution of our species and the survival of the planet. So wish number one is bring wonder home. Mm. So, you know, I think before we got on, Steve and I were talking about his kids and so forth. Mm. Like, so how can we see the familiar loved ones through wonder eyes? How can we see their, their genius, mm -hmm. right? And let them bring that out all different ways, right? We can bring wonder home. So that's definitely a wish for the impact. Second is to return wonder to the heart of human learning. Ooh. So learning has just like been in my DNA for a long time. And I've taught in one capacity or another. And I hear that with both of you as well. And I don't care whether you're eight or 80, wonder gives rise to learning and it allows us to contend with ambiguity, uncertainty, confusion. Yeah. You know, when one of my daughters was really struggling with math I said, it's completely okay that you're confused. Like, this is a good thing. And can you just sit with that and know that it doesn't mean that you're stupid? And that actually shifted a lot for her. And I think every grown-up needs to remind themselves of that too. Sure. Yeah. So third is bring wonder to the mind. So, you know, I lead some people through what I call a wonder method meditation. It's just different ways to sort of observe and navigate the crazy mysteries and vagaries of the mind. So I would love, you know, I would love for therapists and anybody working with mindfulness yeah. or the mind to really appreciate, not pathologize mm -hmm. so much the patterns of the mind, but really to help us see just the wonders of this human mind in different ways right. and give us a language to navigate that. So fourth is to bring wonder to work. So we've, we've explored some of that. But since so many of us spend many of our working hours working in one way or another, mm -hmm. it really, and this is where we do have some direct impact with leaders and teams and entrepreneurs, really to do what we've been talking about today, to shift the workplace in fostering very different relationships, mm -hmm. giving people autonomy with experiences of wonder to help them navigate complex endeavors. This, that's definitely the fourth wish. And fifth is your subject. It's to bring wonder back to the original source of our human experience with wonder, which is the planet. Wow. It is our ancestors' early experience with the natural world that gave rise to this birthright. So yeah, those are my five wishes. And so all the environmentalists and people like you, I, <laughs> I want all of you to just like spread it. All yeah. your listeners out there, like, you know, let's, you know, let's up the wonder ratio yeah. for the planet. This is what's going to help us survive and thrive. And I have to ask one more time. You mentioned it earlier about the snails and the baby toenails. Can you say that phrase one more time? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like, Oz, if Oz is the Grand Canyon, wonder is beetles, snails, and baby toad nails. <laughs> I, I love it. And I wanted to bring it back up because it's literally everywhere. And we, we, we stress so much about just walking outside your front door into nature and, and, you know, reaping those benefits and embracing nature and all of that. There's so much just outside your front door, no matter if you live in a city, a country, it's you so know, true. just there's so much to, to invoke wonder 
even outside your window, yeah. even studies right. that show uh, screensavers yep. of nature yep. boost exactly. your elevation. Yeah, and it's it's just like right here. This is Ziggy Stardust that it. my younger daughter made for me because she knows I'm a Dave Murray fan. So yeah, it's everywhere. I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> is there any parting message that you have for the listeners as far as how nature impacts our health and well-being? I know we've touched on it a little bit. Well, you know, that quote from Thoreau says a lot. Uh, I, I led a group yesterday through a meditation of looking outdoors outside of oneself beyond the screen and like breathing in I am and exhaling that and just reminding ourselves that we are part and parcel of nature. Like we're part and parcel of it. The Lakota people have a word called itonpa, which means to wonder but it also means to care and to think. Mm. And I think if we remember that we are part and parcel of nature, then perhaps we'll be in more wonder with it and care for it. Yeah. Gosh, that is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. I'd never yeah, heard that. That's that so amazing. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, how can, how can listeners find out more about you and your work? And we'll put all of this in the show notes. Yeah. Um, one is just to go to trackingwonder.com. But We'll send you a link to where I forget what the URL is, but your listeners can also on that link, download the first chapter of Tracking Wonder oh, cool. and also take our, take our Wonder at Work assessment, um, which will be really cool. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. And honestly, I can tell you, I've read the book and after this conversation, I can't wait to read the book again <laughs> with different eyes, uh, with a different sense of wonder as I dive back into it. So this has been phenomenal. Steve, uh, any any parting words? Well, I mean, you know, thank, again, thank you for your time. To give each other our time, right, is, is, yeah. is one of the most valuable things we can do for each other. And thank you for helping me and all of our listeners who might be predisposed to judgment quickly, right? Thank you for helping us sort of find some interesting and creative ways to consider how to unpack that, right? How to reapproach judgment, because judgment is like everywhere, judgment's all around. And Maybe if we are judging to be, to be able to move, move past it quickly, to enhance the human connection, to develop a new relationship. I think our conversation here today is going to help some of our listeners also do, do the same thing. So thank you for being a part of, of our journey here. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me in. Like this truly was wondrous and delightful. <laughs> oh, thank and, you. Uh, I wish we were around a campfire. Yeah. So maybe yeah. someday. Yes. Well, I was just thinking, I definitely <laughs> want to see that, that spot you mentioned up on the hill. So. <laughs> And you do have a grill, so I, I just yeah. heard that in the campfire. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Invite yourself over, buddy. Oh, absolutely. Steve, we got some traveling to do, my friend. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Honestly, Jeffrey, thank you so much. And this has been just such an incredible conversation. And I, I know we could just continue this on for hours. And uh, don't be surprised if you hear from us again to come back on. And I love everything you stand for. And I really want everybody to check out your work and to... Just embrace that sense of wonder in your life, and you're only going to benefit from it in so many different ways throughout your health and well-being. So thank you for that. And for everybody listening, please do your health and well-being the best favor you can and just get outside. Thank you for listening to the Nature of Wellness podcast, hosted by Dr. Mark A. Campbell and Steve Otero. Follow us on Instagram at Nature of Wellness, with new content being added frequently. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. The content of this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing should be taken as legal or medical advice. The information is not intended to replace the guidance of your healthcare providers, but to create an outlet for new discussions with them.